If we ever memorize a passage of Scripture, it'll most likely be John 3.16. It's the verse most often heard in the simplicity and beauty of a little child's voice, proudly reciting it from memory. It's one verse that shows up at large placards at football games and other athletic events, where people are always holding them in areas where the television cameras can't possibly avoid the message. This is the one verse that's spoken by many older saints as they breathe their last breath. It's the entire gospel in a nutshell. Angel Martinez, the famous evangelist who uh, memorized the entire New Testament, referred to John 3.16 as salvation's formula. It's the gospel in one verse. It reveals salvation's cause, its cost, its condition, and its consequence. Now that's a pretty good summary of the doctrine and the ideology that revolves around John 3.16. But let's be honest. Religious doctrine and ideology aren't very exciting. Even if they're true. Maybe if some of you are seminary students, you find doctrine exciting, but I'm guessing even still, you're few and far between. But the Bible's not a book of doctrine or ideology. It's predominantly a book of stories. And so I don't want to talk to you this morning about doctrine or ideology. I just want to tell you a story. I want to tell you God's love story. This particular version of God's love story is uh, semi-based on a book by the same name, God's Love Story, a book by one of my favorite seminary professors, Dr. Rick Gray. And he takes a different creative storytelling approach to talking about God's love. In the first class that I had with Dr. Gray, he explained to us why he decided to write this book. See, back when he was in high school, he was a star athlete, he was one of the cool kids, uh, and he ran with kind of a rough crowd before he decided to give his life to Christ. And after that, he began to turn his life around and he got in the habit of carrying his Bible with him everywhere he went. And one day, one of his friends, who was nicknamed the Bird, asked him, Rick, what's that Bible all about? Tell me about this Christianity thing. And uh, Rick didn't know how to communicate God's love story. And so he told them, or he told the bird, the two of them would talk about it later, some other time. Well, that night the bird was at a party and he was demonstrating how he got his nickname. And what he would do is climb way up in the top of pine trees and get out on the edges of the branches and slide down the ends of the branches to the ground, almost like a slide on a playground. But that particular night, one of the branches way up in the top of the tree snapped, and the bird fell to his death. And as Dr. Gray told us the story, he had tears in his eyes, and he said, I'll never forget that two people had to die in order for Rick Gray to truly understand God's love story. The first was Jesus, and the second was the bird. God's love story is a story for everyone. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, you need to be able to communicate this story to others. And you need a reminder of God's amazing love for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, perhaps this telling of this story will help you understand and give you a clear picture as to why those of us who are followers of Christ made the decision to do that. So here's God's love story. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And he created different heavenly beings like angels. There are many places in scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, that tell us about angels. We read specifically about the angels Gabriel and Michael in various scriptural stories. 
But there's another angel that early church scholars tell us about. His name was Lucifer. And Lucifer means morning star or light bearer. And according to these scholars, Lucifer was an angel in heaven who decided that he didn't like serving God. He wanted to do his own thing instead. So he rebelled against God, and he got other heavenly beings to join the rebellion. And eventually Lucifer and those who joined him in the rebellion were expelled from heaven, ultimately becoming Satan and his demons. Somewhere in the midst of all of this, God also created the earth and humankind. The beginning of humanity is represented by a couple named Adam and Eve, and God created these humans and put them in a paradise garden called the Garden of Eden. And in the garden, God only gave them one rule. Don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam and Eve were enjoying their time in the perfect garden and enjoying their perfect relationship with God. In fact, they're so close to God that the Bible tells us that it was like they took walks with God through the garden in the evenings. Well, Satan knew how much God loved humanity. And so he wanted to separate mankind from God. Satan told Adam and Eve, go ahead, eat from that forbidden tree. He told them that if they did, it would make them become like God. Well, they liked the sound of that so much that they went ahead and rebelled, just like Lucifer did. Instead of obeying God, they did their own thing. That's what we call sin, disobeying God because we'd rather do our own thing. And it separates us from God. Adam and Eve's relationship with God was broken because of their actions. And by those actions, sin, this disobedience to God to do our own thing, entered into the world and into the human race. And the relationship with God was broken, and there was a separateness between the physical world and the spiritual world. And in my mind's eye, I can see God sitting on the throne in heaven, and in the fullness of his appointed time, sending out a call across all of the heavenly realm and saying, is there anyone here who will go down there and show fallen mankind the way back into relationship with me? I'm sure that there was probably a hushed silence in heaven. Undoubtedly, God knew that this was a tremendous thing that he was asking. Truly, his love for humankind was unmistakable, even in our fallen state. But that love was about to be severely tested when God's only son rose from the throne. I will go, Father, the pre-incarnate Jesus would have proclaimed confidently. I'll go bring them back into relationship with you. And at this point, I imagine a gasp running through heaven, tears flowing freely as father and son embrace and angels bow low in reverence. And I think that this is the picture that we should get in our minds when we hear that scripture passage that Phil read for us earlier. God loves mankind so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only son to repair the relationship. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself to repair the relationship. You see, since the relationship had been broken by sin, it would mean sacrificing someone. It would mean the death of someone who had never sinned in order to win that victory over sin. Obviously, no human could ever make that claim. And so God sent his son to earth to become a man, both of them understanding that it would mean the death of Jesus 
And not only that, but it would also mean that for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son would be separated from one another. That's how much God loves us. And so the plan was set in motion, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a little baby, born in a smelly barn, where animals and ragged shepherds looked on. Not quite the throne room of heaven, right? And we're told that over the years, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And this indicates four areas in which we should be continually trying to grow. Jesus grew in wisdom. We're supposed to continually grow mentally. Jesus grew in stature. We should grow and improve our health physically. When I grow physically, it tends to be in a horizontal direction, which is unfortunate. But Jesus grew in favor with God, and we should continue to try and grow spiritually. And Jesus grew in favor with other humans, and we should continually seek to grow socially. Now, this is important. Notice that it's not just spiritually that we should be growing. Following Christ is about all parts of our life, not just spirituality. So we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' life as he was growing up, but we know that he started his public ministry when he was around 30 years old. Because Jesus didn't just come to die, he also came to teach us how to live. Friends, so many churches leave this part out of their message. Jesus came to show us how to live. So many have gotten caught up in teaching about life after death that we've left entire generations of people wondering if Christianity has anything to say about life before death. Yes, yes it absolutely does. Jesus taught us that we should live differently than the culture of the world. We shouldn't get caught up in the pursuit of wealth and power. We shouldn't oppress people for our own gain, but we should seek to ensure that justice is done for everyone. Jesus said to love other people, even those who do wrong to us. He said to give to the poor and care for the sick and take care of the foreigner and visit those in prison. He told us that we ever, whatever we do to those whom society considers to be the least and the last and the lowest, the poor, the sick, the foreigner, the prisoner, whatever we do to them or fail to do for them, we're doing those things to Jesus or failing to do those things for Jesus. And Jesus spent his time hanging out with prostitutes and people who everyone else considered to be sinners. And we should be extending love to those individuals too. Because Jesus loved them and forgave them, forgave them when they sought to follow him. He reminds us that he didn't come for those who think that they've got it all together. He didn't come for those who want to sit on their moral high horse and tell other people how wretched they are. And I get pretty upset by how many segments of the church seem to indicate that that's what Christianity is all about. Jesus didn't come to give us the ability to look down on everyone. He came for those who know they have a broken relationship with God and want it to be repaired. Jesus was not who he's been turned into. He wasn't a judgmental hypocrite. He wasn't a rich white televangelist. He wasn't a U.S. citizen. He wasn't a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a member of the Green Party. He was the perfect Son of God sent to demonstrate the love of God the Father before making the ultimate sacrifice, teaching us the proper way to live before he went to his death to win our victory over sin and death. 
So the leaders of the society in which Christ lived, most of them religious leaders, by the way, got tired of telling Jesus, uh, and got tired of Jesus telling everyone that they needed to live in a countercultural way. They got sick of Jesus telling them that thieves and prostitutes would enter into heaven before the prideful religious leaders. They got sick of Jesus condemning the way that they treated the poor and the outcast. So they decided that they were going to get rid of Jesus for good, not knowing that that was God's plan all along. And so the leaders had Jesus arrested and sentenced to death by the most vicious means possible, being nailed to a cross. So Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who preached love and forgiveness, was beaten and tortured and forced to walk the streets of the city, carrying the cross to which he would soon be nailed. They put nails through his hands and his feet and lifted the cross high so that everyone could see the consequences of going against the authorities. And as Jesus hung on that cross, the sins of all mankind were placed upon him. Every sin that had ever been committed, every sin that will ever be committed, was placed on a sinless Savior, making it possible for the relationship between God and humankind to be mended. But as I said before, sin means separation from God. And since Jesus now had all the sins of history on him, he was separated from God the Father for the first time. And as he hung there dying for our sins, we're told that he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he looked to heaven and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. But guess what? The story doesn't end there. Because three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Death and sin could not keep Jesus Christ. He once and for all conquered the separation caused by sin for any who were willing to follow him. And so because Jesus willingly endured the pain and the torture of being put to death on the cross, our relationship with God can be fixed. See, we all have broken relationships with God. Because just like Adam and Eve, just like Lucifer, we've all decided to do our own thing. We all decided to do things that just aren't right. We've all sinned and broken our relationship with God, and if we stay in that state, we stay separated from God. And it's not that God's punishing us, but rather, separation is just the natural result of not fixing that relationship. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author, said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. If we don't want to take God up on the love story He's written for us, that's totally our choice. We can have our will. God's will leads to a relationship with Him and eternal life in the kingdom of God. Our will leads to brokenness and separation. God's will is for us to follow Jesus Christ, to believe in Him and trust in Him so that our relationship with God can be fixed. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, but you've heard God's love story and you decided that you want to be a part of it, you can fix your relationship with God. Maybe you've heard of the idea of accepting Jesus. I don't really like that term, to be honest. In his book, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, David Platt writes, In Scripture, you will not find an emphasis on accepting Jesus. Accept Him. 
Do we really think Jesus needs our acceptance? Don't we need him? Friends, Jesus doesn't simply call us to accept him. He calls us to follow him, to do the things that he did while he was on this earth, to do justice and love kindness and to love God and love other people with everything that we've got. He calls us to believe in his love story and to confess to others that we believe in. If you'd like to do that today, I invite you to do so. But just so you know, this is a a decision that will change you. Because Jesus wants you to follow him with every single part of your life. Your relationship, your politics, your work, your economics, every part of your life. If you've heard God's love story and you want to be a part of it, what I want you to do is, in a minute when we close in prayer, just say in your heart, pray in your heart, trust me, God will hear you, that you want to be a part of God's love story. That you want Jesus to forgive you and fix your relationship with God. Commit yourself to following Christ's example. And if you make that commitment today, do me a favor and tell someone who you know who's a follower of Christ. And if you don't know anyone who you'd like to tell, we'd love to hear from you at Beacon, one way or the other, so that we can help you with next steps and where you go from here. You can always get in touch with us via social media or our website, beaconlex.org. For those of you who are already followers of Christ, I hope that this telling of God's love story has reminded you how amazingly blessed we all are to be a part of it. I hope it's reminded you that those of us who profess Christianity don't just do so with our mouths or with our church attendance, but with every action we take on behalf of others. Our minds can't fathom the depth of such love as God has extended to us. But an attempt to respond to that love can be made simply by embracing it and allowing it to use you to reach others. This is the story of God's love for us. Really, it's not that complicated. and God had it committed to paper in the form of the Bible so that humanity wouldn't have any excuse when we stand before him to give an account of our lives. God is a merciful God, and he desires that no one should be separated from him that everyone should fix their relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so the only question that needs to be decided is this. What will you do with the news about Jesus Christ? Please pray with me. God, our Creator, in the beginning you commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. And we pray that the light of this glorious gospel of Jesus would drive out the darkness of ignorance and unbelief and would shine into the hearts of all your people and reveal knowledge of your glory. Thank you for the love story that you've written and that you invite us to be a part of it. I pray for anyone who hasn't yet made the decision to be a part of your love story, that they would reach out to you now and commit themselves to following you. I pray for those who have already made that commitment, that they would not just acknowledge you with their lips, but that they would reflect you in the way that they love others. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen.